Greetings and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Friday Lecture Series Online Edition. I'm Anthony Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute. Uh, thank you all for joining us tonight for our talk, Hung Lu, Portraits of, of Promised Lands by Dorothy Moss. Uh, this talk was originally scheduled in the fall, and so we're delighted that she's able to join us today to uh, present. Dorothy Moss is Curator of Painting and Sculpture at the National Portrait Gallery and Coordinating cor Curator of the Smithsonian American Women's History Initiative. Uh, Moss directed the 2013, 2016, and 2019 Outwin uh, Bolshevir portrait competitions as curator of the National Portrait Gallery's first performing, uh, performance art series, Identify, performance art as a portraiture. Uh, she has uh, commissioned new performances by multiple artists. Uh, she serves as the curator of the ongoing um, Portraiture Now series and co-curated the Face of Battle, Americans at War, 9-11 uh, to Now uh, in 2017. And her past exhibitions include the One Life Sylvia Plath in 2017, The Sweat of Their Face, Portraying American Workers in 2017, and most, most recently, uh, Hung Lu Portraits of Promised Lands in September 2021, which was accompanied by a scholarly catalog published by Yale University Press. Uh, prior to joining at the National Portrait Gallery, uh, Moss served as assistant curator of American art at the Corcoran Gallery of Art, and she has also uh, worked as a researcher and writer for the installation of the Luce uh, Foundation uh, Center for the American Art at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. And a bit of uh, great news, uh, she has recently accepted a position as director of the Hung Lewis State beginning sometime in April. And with that, please welcome Dorothy Moss. Thank you so much, Anthony. Um, I'm thrilled to be here and to share um, a bit of background about the exhibition, Hung Lu, Portraits of Promised Lands, and the publication, um, which, as Anthony mentioned, was um, uh, co-published with the National Portrait Gallery and Yale University Press. The uh, exhibition, um, Hong Lu Portraits of Promised Lands took place in Washington at the National Portrait Gallery in 2021. And uh, sadly, Hung Lu, who I had been working closely with for six years on the exhibition, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer uh, just as we were installing the exhibition. And unfortunately, she was unable to see the exhibition at the museum. However, I was able to travel to be with her in the last week of her life um, and share with her photographs of the art handlers at the portrait gallery installing her paintings and talk with her about the power of her grand scale layered and textured paintings based on historic Chinese photographs. Um, and the power these paintings conveyed in the context of a national portrait gallery where we have portraits of the presidents and um, portraits of people who have made an impact on the history and culture of the United States going back to the 18th um, century. So this was a very important um, exhibition for us in terms of opening up the narratives we tell this was the first exhibition devoted to an Asian American woman that the National Portrait Gallery ever hosted. And so it was a groundbreaking show on many levels. 
the exhibition catalog was uh, really um, the it is an important catalog now because in retrospect we realize it is the last exhibition catalog that Hung Lu worked on during her lifetime, and she closely read the essays. She helped choose the authors. There are contributions by Nancy Lim, who is a curator at SFMOMA, Lucy Lepard, the feminist theorist and critic, um, Elizabeth Partridge, who is a photo historian who specializes in the work of Dorothea Lane, and Philip Tanari, who is the CEO and director of the UCCA in Beijing. Also included in the catalog are artist reflections. And because Hung Lu was very active in um, teaching, she taught for many years at Mills College in Oakland and was a vital part of the contemporary art scene globally. We wanted to include artists who she has worked with, artists whose work responds to her work, and artists who she feels inspired by. So the last section of the book is devoted to artist reflections on Hung Lu's work, and it's a really wide um, variety of artists, including Enrique Chigoya, Judy Chicago, Mel Chen, Yu Hong, uh, Martin Mull, Amy Sherald, Stephanie Sayuko, Lava Thomas, Carrie Mae Weems, and Lu Zhaodong. I first met Hung Lu back in 2013 when she was a juror for the National Portrait Gallery's Triennial Outwin Bucciver Portrait Competition. And listening to her critique the artwork that was submitted, we had over 2,500 entries and a, a panel of esteemed jurors were invited to work with us. And whenever I heard Hung Lu talk about the artist's work and discuss why she thought a work of art should be selected, I was absolutely captivated. It was clear to me that she was a great teacher, um, that she was an incisive critic, and that she was an incredibly um, uh, articulate and, um, and, and profound uh, viewer of artwork. Um, so I wanted to get to know her better, and she invited me to her studio in Oakland. I went out in 2014, and we started a dialogue about organizing an exhibition of her artwork. And as I mentioned, the exhibition opened um, in 2021, in, in August of 2021, and it was on view for about eight months at the National Portrait Gallery. Uh, during the period of COVID, where we had some openings and closures of the museum, this exhibition still garnered an incredible attendance record. And we, we had people who were new visitors to the museum, a lot of people who had either grown up in China um, and immigrated to the United States, uh, people visiting um, from all over the world were able to come once COVID had allowed travel to occur, and we got an incredible response from visitors in terms of feeling like people saw their own stories of immigration and migration in Hung Lu's work. The exhibition began, um, and the book also includes photographs and sketches that Hung Lu made when uh, she was sent to the countryside during the Cultural Revolution. 
she grew up in a family that was very well educated. And uh, because of that, the Red Guards um, invaded their home and took away the photographs, family albums, and journals that um, were really the record of Hong Wu's family's life. And Hung Lu and her mother were uh, very careful about saving a handful of photographs that they then um, kept as a record of their family's history. When Hung Lu was in the countryside, she had a camera that a friend gave her, a Carl Zeiss camera, that she secretly took into the village and took photographs of the villagers around her and made sketches uh, uh, when the workers were gathered to listen to Mao Zedong address the uh, workers on a loudspeaker, she would sit and make sketches of the people around her. And this was her way into portraiture. You see two examples of photographs she took during that time period on the left and on the right, you see three sketches. The first gallery of the exhibition and my essay in the catalog uh, really focuses on her family portraits. And Hung Lu was very close with her family. Um, her mother was a very important influence on her. Her mother was a middle school teacher, and she raised Hung Lu with the help of her own mother and her sister and her father. Hung Lu's father was taken away from the family um, when Hung Lu was an infant. He's, this is a, a photograph that includes her grandfather, her mother behind her, her grandmother, and um, Hung Lu's aunt. And here she is with her mother. Hung Lu's father was taken away from the family because he was a, a nationalist um, and an officer. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, when they were trying to flee their hometown of Changchun in the north of China, he was stopped by the communists and, um, and taken away. So Hung Lu grew up without knowing him. And these family photographs that she and her mother saved really became the way that she kept a memory of her family's history. And she ultimately never forgot her father. This is a portrait titled Father's Day. It's a shaped canvas, so it's hard to see that here, but it's actually a cutout canvas. It's 54 by 72 inches, so quite a large piece. And there's an architectural component that you see off to the side that frames the two figures. Um, in 1994, when Hung Lu was living in the United States, she came to California in 1984 to study at the University of California, San Diego. Um, she was living in Texas in 1994 with her husband, who was an art critic named Jeff Kelly. And she got a call from a friend who said that her father had been located and she went back to China for the first time and was able to reunite with her father and to tell him that she and her mother never forgot about him and that her mother never remarried. Her, she was ultimately able to reunite her mother and her father, although they, they never lived together again. But it was very important to her to be able to see her father again 
after having um, grown up without him and always wondering whether he was still alive. And here he is when she found him. He was quite thin and she told me the story of first seeing him at a camp for former inmates and he made no expression when he was told that she was his daughter but later they were able to sit together and talk through the night and they both um, were very emotional and were able to share with each other stories of what had happened in their lives over the years. As I mentioned, Hung Lu immigrated to the United States to study at the University of California at San Diego. After applying to study there for four years, she was pro finally admitted by the government um, to come to the United States. And she was surrounded by an incredible cohort of artists, including Alan Capro, who became her advisor. Alan Capro is a seminal performance artist. And other artists around her were uh, Maura Roth, the feminist theorist, who was also a mentor to her. Jeff Kelly, who you see on the far right, who became her husband. He's an art critic and writer. Um, and other artists such as uh, Manny Farber and also um, Carrie Mae Weems, who remained a close friend of Hung Lu's through her life. During that period of time, she was able to become more experimental. She had been trained in socialist realist art in China. And so she had a very specific and programmatic way of painting the figure in the service of Mao's regime, these very monumental happy workers um, and uh, the socialist realist style that had been transmitted from the Soviet Union. When she got to California, she, her mind was open to new ways of making art, more conceptual art practices, performance art. And she told a story of Alan Caprow taking her to a dump and asking her to make work out of objects she found. And at first she was overwhelmed because she wasn't used to this kind of broad generalization, this broad sort of um, open definition of art. And she embraced it and started making um, some really groundbreaking work, including this painting, Resident Alien, which is one of her most iconic works of art. Here you see her in a mugshot um, with a fingerprint that looks like it's being um, looked at through a microscope as if she's under surveillance. She's changed her name to fortune cookie to reference the slang term for women um, who are of Asian descent, but also uh, uh, referencing the handout in American Chinese restaurants that actually she had never seen in China. So she's tongue in cheek being critical of her experience of being both an outsider and an insider in uh, the United States. And she's changed her birth year um, from 1948, which is when she was born, um, to 1984, which is the year she came to the United States. Here you see a portrait of her grandmother, who was a very important influence in her life. This is a larger-than-life, monumental, cut-out canvas where you see her grandmother's hands, which are 
very arthritic. And she talks about how her grandmother washed the family's clothes and took care of everything for the family um, until the day she died. And Hung Lu really used her experience of performance art to make uh, portraits that are theatrical, um, that come into our space, that are larger than life. And as she described to me, she wanted her family members in these portraits to become adopted by us. She often would say, if we can adopt each other's children, why can't we adopt each other's ancestors? So by making these portraits that are larger than life of her own family members, she asks us to look up at them as if they are our own family. In the exhibition, we also included a gallery devoted to her portrayals of gender. She was very much influenced by the feminist theorist Maura Roth, but when Hung Lu talked about her own form of feminism, she described it as one that came from China. Through the doorway, you see a painting of her grandfather, Lu Weiwa, and this painting belongs to the SF MoMA. He would sit with Hung Lu for hours while reading um, Chinese poetry, including the Ballad of Milan, where she was able to get a glimpse of a powerful young girl who went to battle in place of her father. And in reading and thinking about the possibilities of what women can be and do with her own grandfather, she developed a kind of strength that she said she carried with her through her life, also watching the strength of her grandmother and her mother raising her without her father. She saw how strong women are. And so when she went to um, China on her first visit back, she went into some archives, including the uh, a film archive in Beijing where she found images of former prostitutes from the early 20th century. And she was so uh, intrigued by these photographs and by the way the women looked. And she was also interested in travel books created by Western photographers who documented types of women in China. Um, and she used these photographs as source material for large scale paintings that created a sense of monumentality and offered dignity back to her subject. She felt very strongly that the women in the photographs should be dignified and seen and um, reimagined as uh, people who had agency and people who existed. Um, so she's bringing them back to life. She often referred to these paintings as summoning ghosts by using source material um, from ancient or from Chinese photographs from the late 19th and early 20th century and um, reimagining the lives of the subjects. This painting, Goddess of Love, Goddess of Liberty, is one that she made in 1989 while she was living in Texas with her husband, Jeff Kelly, who was teaching at the University of Texas Arlington at the time. And she was watching the events unfold on television in Tiananmen Square during the time she made this painting. She's used a source photograph of a woman with bound feet who she's referring to as goddess of liberty. And she's making a comment on the way the Chinese government have had kept women and children and students bound um, by the government. She's installed a 
broom to reference the way that the blood was swept away from Tiananmen Square and a, a um, chalkboard that has erasure marks to reference the way that this history has been erased from the textbooks. On the panel to the left, she shows um, a vase that was in a French collection of a person, a woman with bound feet. Um, and underneath the two panels, you see two bowls, which contain the paint uh, palette of each of the panels as if these images are just illusions that could drip back down into the bowl at any moment. This is a painting from 1992 titled Madonna based on one of the photographs of prostitutes that Hong Lu found in the Beijing Film Archive. And here she has added a golden, almost halo to the subject where it's there's gold leaf, which gives her a sense of holiness, of otherworldliness. She's added an architectural element on the right to bring her into our space, yet she's also blurred the facial features slightly to make her untouchable. So Hung Lu used various strategies to reinstill a sense of dignity and humanity into these women who's, uh, who had been completely objectified by Western photographers. In the corridor of the exhibition, and as part of the subject of Phil Tenari's uh, essay in the catalog, we show a very important series by Hung Lu titled, Where is Mao? And this is a series that she created um, just several years after she arrived in the United States. They're charcoal on canvas drawings showing images that proliferated in the mass press of Mao Zedong meeting other world leaders engaged in activities with the Red Guards. Um, and in each one, his face is erased, yet we know who he is because she said he was everywhere. So her titling this, Where is Mao? is a sort of tongue-in-cheek way of criticizing the fact that there's no escaping the great leader yet in her process of becoming American, she's trying to erase memories that were traumatic um, for her and her family. She also um, continued to look in archives and libraries in the United States to find images of Chinese children and women. Here you see a source photograph for her series titled Mission Girls, um, from a book titled The Awakening of China, published in 1907 by, by W.A.P. Martin. And this is a group of young orphans in a missionary school in modern-day Wuhan. And here is the series where she has broken up the students in the group to create smaller groups or individual portraits that show these children with uh, circles behind them. She was a Tao Buddhist, and she thought of the circle as both a symbol of transience and wholeness. And she often used the symbol of a circle in order to instill dignity in her subjects and to move them forward um, and give them a sense of hope and, and new life. 
another gallery in the exhibition um, and a subject of the catalog are Hung Lu's portraits of refugees, especially women and children. When Hung Lu was an infant, her family fled their hometown of Changchun and was stopped by the communists. Um, when her father was taken, her mother carried her for miles to safety. And in the painting that you see on the wall to the right, you see a mother holding an infant. Hung Lu often referenced a story of asking her mother when she was about eight years old what the experience of fleeing their hometown was like. And her mother described seeing a young child um, in a basket by a river, and a mother had had to abandon that child. And then Hung Lu's mother detailed watching the mother of that child walk into the river and drown. And Hung Lu asked her mother if she ever considered doing that herself. And her mother looked her in the eyes and said, I don't know. So she never definitively said no. And that haunted Hung Lu. So uh, she carried that memory with her and often made paintings focus on refugees and migrant mothers and children. On the far left, you see a painting um, titled Comfort Women, which is uh, based on a photograph of, of Korean comfort women. And um, there are Japanese soldiers in the photograph behind them, yet Hung Lu has erased the soldiers and she's focusing on the women and on their strength in the face of very um, challenging and traumatic situations. Here you see the painting that I had shown you in the gallery on the left, it's titled Refugee Opera of a Mother and Child, and next to it, you might uh, recognize the source for this. This is a painting called Migrant Mother Mealtime based on Dorothea Lange's series uh, of the migrant mother. Dorothea Lang became a subject of fascination for Hung Lu in the later years of her life. Hung Lu's studio is based in Oakland, California, and Dorothea Lang's archive is located at the Oakland um, Museum. So Hung Lu would go look at the archive and pour through Hung, uh, pour through Dorothea Lange's photographs from the Great Depression, and she found in those photographs a great similarity and resonance with the experiences she had as a migrant worker during the Cultural Revolution. And so she started to create a series based on these photographs, and in the process of reimagining the subjects of Dorothea Lange's photographs, she as she does with her uh, paintings of Chinese subjects, restores dignity to the subjects. And she thinks of her own story um, as she paints these mothers and children. This is her with her own son, Ling Chen, who was born to her first husband in China, who, who was an astronomer. Um, and Ling Chen remained with his grandmother and his aunt while Hung Lu went to study in the United States and ended up joining her when he was eight years old when she was living in Texas. So having to leave him behind also made her aware of the sacrifices that many women have had to make when they have to choose um, to do something to support their family that takes them away from their family. And he ended up joining her um, 
and is now still living in the United States and is a professor or is a teacher of Chinese history and culture. And he is currently um, working with one of her galleries in Santa Fe to help establish her legacy as an artist. And this is a large scale painting that she made of him as a child in Beijing. Another painting that was included in the gallery devoted to refugees is this monumental painting of a woman who Hung Lu believed uh, was selling, was trying to sell her children um, based on her hand gesture in the source photograph. And Hung Lu has added uh, symbols, various symbols to help this woman along her journey. She would often include um, lotus flowers, um, birds, and other symbols that she found in ancient Chinese paintings in order to move her subjects forward to provide them help and, and blessings on their journeys. Again, Hung Lu was very much influenced and impacted by her time during the Cultural Revolution when she was able to, at any moment, she could take a break, which was rare, but when she would, she would paint and sketch the uh, villagers and the um, people who she met in the countryside. And that experience really created a sense of connection to Dorothea Lang. Um, and so this final body of work that she made based on Dorothea Lange's photographs occupied the last gallery of the exhibition. And these are beautiful paintings, thickly textured paintings that really um, speak to her experience as an immigrant in the United States and as somebody who is hoping to adopt the ancestors of those who came before her, the artists who came before her in the United States, she thought of these subjects as people who would be older than she was at the time she was painting them. And by painting them, she was adopting them. In the final year of her life, 2020, she made two last self-portraits. And I'm happy to say that the National Portrait Gallery was able to acquire these self-portraits. Um, and one is titled um, Rat Year 2021, The Last Dandelion, which you see on the left. The dandelion was an important symbol in Hung Lu's uh, work throughout her career. She saw the dandelion as a symbol of migration and renewal. And here you see her wearing a mask. It was during the time of covid she was starting to feel unwell, but she had not been diagnosed with cancer. And as she looks out at us with a brave and bold expression with open eyes, she's also fearful. Um, yet she's facing the future head on. And there's a red paint that rims her eyes. So it's a very poignant painting, especially knowing that it is one of her last paintings. And on the right, you see one dandelion. Um, and this is a, a print on plywood. She was constantly experimenting with materials. And she created the print on plywood with 
um, Magnolia Studios in Oakland, who worked on a lot of her um, translations of paintings into prints from um, or into tapestries. So she was constantly reinventing her work in different media. And then on the right, you see this painting titled um, Counting Down, where she's wrapped in an American flag. And on the right are Chinese characters that trace the evolution of the character um, for foot. And so she's referring to kicking a wall, sort of feeling like she's um, being trapped during COVID and that feeling of isolation and also frustration. She felt that the American government at the time was not doing enough to protect citizens and to um, to move beyond the pandemic. Of course, we're still in the pandemic. And she passed away um, in 2021, August of, of 2021. And um, she was still frustrated by the isolation Yet she always remained hopeful, and she often quoted um, various writers and authors, um, and including Hemingway, talking about the sun also rises. She refused to ever give up hope, and I do find in her work a powerful, a powerful sense of resilience and renewal of looking at people who are on the margins of society and making sure that they do not go unseen. Um, again, in the context of the National Portrait Gallery, this work was extremely powerful because for the first time we were able to show anonymous Chinese subjects um, and their faces became in dialogue with the history of the United States. Um, through the power of Hong Lu's brushwork. And in doing that alone, she was doing something quite revolutionary. And so her last act in um, helping develop this exhibition um, really opened new ground and new territory for the National Portrait Gallery. And I look forward to seeing what the artists who follow her will do in response. So um, with that, I will close my section of the talk and open it up for any questions. I do want to thank you, Dorothy, for a wonderful presentation. A, a lot of work went into this. I just want to mention <clears throat> my connection, small little connection with Hong Lu. Uh, this issue back here of our scholarly journal, uh, CUNY Forum, uh, we were looking for an image to put on the back cover of our journal in July 2021. Uh, I received actually from the Smithsonian a postcard about Hong Lu's upcoming exhibition. And on the postcard, you use the image string fruit, comfort women, uh, yes. right? which is the cover of the catalog book itself. Uh, I thought, immediately looked at it. I thought it was like fascinating. <laughs> and uh, because uh, this particular issue, we had a few essays dealing with anti-Asian hate and also the uh, the shootings that happened in Atlanta to some of the uh, massage parlor workers, uh, some of them Korean. And uh, yeah, we thought this image was great. And I had I had to track down uh, Hong Lu's contact information. And luckily enough, she did reply back to me on Facebook, which she said that she rarely used. And she's wow. like, oh, lucky I actually came here and checked the message here. And she allowed us to actually use uh, Strange Fruit for our cover. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And, that's and then I was shocked one month later uh, to read in the New York Times that 
she had passed away. And she had invited me to go uh, visit her when she was going to uh, open up her exhibit at the Nancy Hoffman Gallery in September. Yes. But I was totally saddened that I wasn't able to meet her in real life. Uh, but I mean, I did get to visit and see some of her pieces at the Hoffman Gallery and they were, you know, fascinating. But yeah, too bad I didn't get a chance to head down to DC in order to see the, uh, you know, Portraits of Promised Land. Well, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm glad that you had that exchange with her at the end of her life. And it shows how generous she was, um, too, that she responded through a sort of alternate channel and was able to get you what you needed. That's how she was in life, um, just extremely generous and always hoping to support um, academic institutions and students and faculty. Um, and so and part of my um, great honor in being the director of her estate will be to continue to partner with academic institutions and museums in order to extend her legacy. Um, we will be placing her archive and remaining work, which is yet to be placed in museums. Um, I also know that she cared deeply about teaching. And so whatever I can do to work with students in universities and colleges to curate exhibitions at college galleries and um, help with scholarly programming, um, I will do that. So this is an exciting new posthumous uh, period of life for her. And um, I'm hoping that the work we do with the estate will help reach many, many more young people who will want to work on her. Will a attendee ask, could you speak a little bit about Hong Lu's own identification of her relationship to the Asian American art scene? Uh, did she make any remarks in that regard comparable to how she described her relationship to Euro-American feminism, uh, mm -hmm. a near yet distant one? Uh, thank you. Yes, thank you. It's a great question. She often described herself as a Chinese artist in the United States. Um, she spent 36 years of her life in China and 36 years in the United States. And her formal academic training in socialist realism, realist uh, art never really left her. She sort of pushed against it and found ways to manipulate um, the figure. She uh, used what has been termed weeping realism by uh, creating um, large-scale figures and then using generous amounts of linseed oil to drip over the paintings where um, she's referencing time and history and memory through the disillusion of the figure and creating a kind of veil between us and the figure. In her um, sort of formulation of feminism, she does, as I mentioned, really look back to the way that she was shaped as a young person in China, that she was uh, taught by her mother and her, her grandfather to be strong, um, to be educated. Her mind was cultivated. Um, education was extremely important in her family. And uh, she was encouraged to use her education, to speak up, and as I talk with friends of hers from her boarding school in Beijing, which was a top boarding school in Beijing, um, her friends talked about how she was known as an intellect. Uh, she was very good at school. And so um, she, her 
her way of describing herself as a feminist is rooted in those early experiences with her family in China and rooted in her education as a girl. Uh, and then she was adopted by American feminists. She spoke at the Women's March in 2016 in San Francisco and uh, was followed on stage by Joan Baez. Um, and she was invited to speak at many feminist conferences. But she would talk to me about how there was sometimes a misunderstanding about um, sort of her her way of approaching feminism, which was more rooted in China than actually in the United States. I don't know if that answers the question, but uh, I hope it does in part. Uh, now, I have a question. Now, regarding the catalog itself, uh, what kind of process did it go through? Like uh, how long, the proofreading, the editing, before it, it finally yes. was good enough to be published? Great question. We worked with excellent editors at the Yale University Press, um, but before we uh, it were accepted by the press, I had chosen authors with Hung Lu, who would address different aspects of her work, from Phil Tenari at the UCCA in Beijing, who put her work in the context of contemporary Chinese art, um, to Nancy Lim from SF MoMA, who wrote about the paintings um, and drawings that she made during the Cultural Revolution when she was sent out to the countryside, um, and then Elizabeth Partridge, who focused on the Dorothea Lange work as an expert um, and family member of Dorothea Lange, Elizabeth Partridge had talked at length with Hung Lu about why she was making work based on Dorothea Lange's Great Depression photographs. And my um, essay in the book looks at those family photographs that she and her mother saved when the Red Guards were raiding homes and destroying family documentation. And um, I argue in my essay that Hung Lu actually thought about those photographs throughout her career and connected the subjects of her own family photographs with the subjects in um, the Chinese uh, historical photographs she found in archives. The, the use of photography to me was always very interesting and the way she appropriates and then translates the photograph into these large-scale paintings that have a life of their own that really transform the image, yet retain a sense of the individual. And in fact, when I proposed the exhibition to the National Portrait Gallery, I was asked by a reviewer of the proposal whether Hung Lu was actually making portraits or not. Mm -hmm. um, and in part because we don't have, in many cases, the names of the people who are in the source photographs. Yet Hung Lu would argue those are portraits because those people existed and we want to never forget them. They're individuals who had lives. Um, and while they were marginalized in their lifetimes or maybe at risk of being forgotten, she did not want anyone um, to be left behind. She was very much a humanist. Um, so back to the book, we we proposed these authors to um, various um publishers, Yale Press was very interested. We negotiated with them. And then we began the process of submitting the manuscript. And in that process, Hung Lu was very involved. She checked the uh, writing for accuracy regarding places and dates. And um, her husband, Jeff Kelly, contributed the chronology in the back. 
And she was active in, in talking with all the authors and really engaging with the way that her work was being interpreted, which was sometimes new, you know, new interpretations, which she really appreciated. I think that she was very interested in making sure the book was something that would be accessible um, and that it would be relatable to young people um, and also provide some um, sort of new ideas that could be further developed as dissertations or as new publications or new exhibitions. There's so much more work to be done on her, and I'll be very excited when the archive is placed and all of the um, letters and sketches and writing that she did is digitized so that it can reach new audiences and um, provide material for, for new scholarship. In regards to her work, how does uh, her home country, past home country, China, view her work? Um, have they sort of re-embraced re it at all, you know, since her passing, you know? It's an interesting question. The artists who know her and several contributed to the catalog, um, including Yu Hong and Lu Zhaodong, sure. uh, very prominent artists, um, see her as someone who paved the way for them as a, a kind of a pioneer who um, helped um, break down some barriers for artists um, to be more experimental and conceptual. Uh, unfortunately, in 2019, her exhibition that was supposed to open at the UCCA in Beijing was censored by the government and mm. the work was not permitted to leave the United States to be installed there. And uh, that was in December 2019. So she was very disappointed because she never saw herself as uh, dangerous. Yet um, the way that she paints figures based on historic Chinese photographs where she's adding um, a great deal of pathos and um, showing suffering and kind of... Uh, Unearthing stories that have been suppressed uh, became, in this current climate, something that was not permitted to be shown. So while she had shown work in China in the past, um, in the not distant past, she was disappointed towards the end of her life that she realized that her, her work could not go back to China at this time. Nice. Yeah. But well, she's very much well respected and, and um discussed in um you know by the most important contemporary Chinese artists living there today. Well hopefully <clears throat> in your new position you're able to do something in the near future uh, where it can be shown. I hope uh, so. That would yeah. be a goal. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> Yeah, I want to thank uh, Dorothy again for a wonderful presentation. Uh, you can purchase Hung Lu Portraits of a Promise, uh, Portraits of Promised Lands online from the Smithsonian website or on Amazon. And the link is available on her talk webpage. And with that, uh, have a good evening. Uh, enjoy your uh, upcoming Lincoln birthday weekend, or if, if you do celebrate that and the following President's Day weekend, uh, remember to be upstander if you see a fellow person in need. And I want to thank Dorothy once more. Congratulations on your upcoming position. We look forward to more of uh, Hong Lu's work out there.
if you uh, folks who are watching, if you still haven't purchased a copy of the catalog, it's a wonderfully thick, <laughs> but colorful <laughs> and, and, and very fascinating, you know, publication. So uh, please purchase it and have a good weekend. And thank you, Dorothy. Thank you so much, Anthony.